Chapter 3. The Old Gentleman After the adventure of Peter's coal mine, it seemed very well to the children to keep away from the station. But they did not, they could not, keep away from the railway. They had lived all their lives in a street where cabs and omnibuses rumbled by at all hours, and the carts of the butchers and the bakers and the candlestick makers. I never saw a candlestick maker's cart, did you? might occur at any moment. Here, in the deep silence of the sleeping country, the only things that went by were the trains. They seemed to be all that was left to link their children to the old life that had once been theirs. Straight down the hill from the front of the three chimneys, the daily passage of their six feet began to mar mark a path across the crisp, short turf. They began to know the hours when the certain trains passed, and they gave names to them. The 9.15 up was called Green Dragon. The 10.7 down was the Worm of Wantley. The Midnight Town Express, whose shrieking rush they seem sometimes woke from their dreams to hear, was the fearsome fly-by-night. Peter got up once in the chill of starshine and, peeping at it through the, his curtains, named it on the spot. It was by the Green Dragon that the old gentleman travelled. He was a very nice-looking old gentleman, and he looked as if he were nice, too, which was not at all the same thing. He had fresh-coloured, clean-shaven face and white hair and he wore rather odd-shaped collars and a top hat that wasn't exactly the same kind as other people's. Of course, the children didn't see that at first. In fact, the first thing they noticed about the old gentleman was his hand. It was one morning, as they sat on the fence waiting for the green dragon, which was three and a quarter minutes late by Peter Waterbury's watch that he had given him on his last birthday. The green dragon is going where father is, said Phyllis. If it were really a dragon, we could stop it and ask it to take our love to father. Dragons don't carry people's love, said Peter. They'd be above it. Yes, they do, if you tame them thoroughly first. They fetch and carry like pet spaniels, said Phyllis, and feed out of your hand. I wonder why father never writes to us. Mother says he's been too busy, said Bobby, but he'll write soon, she says. I say, suggested Phyllis, let's all wave to the green dragon as it goes by. If it's a magic dragon, it'll understand and take our loves to father. And if it isn't, three waves aren't much. We shall never miss them. So when the green dragon tore shrieking out of the mouth of its dark lair, which was the tunnel, all three children stood on the railing and waved their pocket handkerchiefs without stopping to think whether they were clean handkerchiefs or the reverse. They were, as a matter of fact, very much the reverse. And out of the first-class carriage, a hand waved back. A quite clean hand.
It held a newspaper. It was the old gentleman's hand. After this it became the custom for waves to be exchanged between the children and the 915. And the children, especially the girls, liked to think that perhaps the old gentleman knew father and would meet him in business when, wherever that shady retreat might be and tell him how his three children stood on the rail far away in the green country and waved their love to him every morning, wet or fine. For they were now able to go out in all sorts of weather, such as they would never have been allowed to go out in when they lived in their villa house. This was Aunt Emma's doing, and the children felt more and more that they had not been quite fair to this unattractive aunt when they found out how useful were the long gaiters and waterproof coats that they had laughed at her for buying for them. Mother, all this time, was very busy with her riding. She used to send off a good many, many, she used to send off a good many long blue envelopes with stories in them, and large envelopes of different sizes and colors used to come to her. Sometimes, sometimes she would sigh when she opened them and say, Another story come home to roost. Oh, dear, oh, dear. And then the children would be very sorry. But sometimes she would wave the envelope in the air and say, Hooray, hooray! Here's a sensible editor. He's taken my story, and this is the proof of it. At first, the children thought the proof meant the letter the sensible editor had written, but they presently got to know that the proof was long slips of paper with the story printed on them. Whenever the editor was sensible, there were buns for tea. One day Peter was going down to the village to get buns to celebrate the sensibleness of the editor of the Children's Globe when he met the station master. Peter felt very uncomfortable, for he had now had time to think over the affair of the coal mine. He did not like to say good morning to the station master, as you usually do to anyone you meet on a lonely road, because he had a hot feeling which spread even to his ears that the station master might not care to speak to a person who had stolen coals. Stolen. It's a nasty word, but Peter felt it was the right one, so he looked down and said nothing. It was the station master who said, Good morning, as he passed by, and Peter answered, Good morning. And then he thought, Perhaps he doesn't know who I am by daylight, or he wouldn't be so polite. And he did not like the feeling which the thinking gave him. Then, before he knew what he was going to do, he ran after the station master, who stopped when he heard Peter's hasty boots crunching the road, and coming up to him very breathless, and with his ears now quite magenta-colored, he said, I don't want you to be polite to me if you don't know me when you see me. Eh? said the station master. I thought perhaps you didn't know that it was me who took the coal, Peter went on, when you said good morning. 
But it was. I'm sorry. There. Why, said the stationmaster, I wasn't thinking anything at all about the precious coal. Let bygones be bygones. And where were you off to in such a hurry? I'm going to buy buns for tea, said Peter. I thought you were all so poor, said the stationmaster. So we are, said Peter confidently, but we always have three pennies worth of half pennies for tea whenever mother sells a story or a poem or anything. Oh, said the stationmaster, so your mother writes stories, does she? The beautifulest you've ever read, said Peter. You ought to be very proud to have such a clever mother. Yes, said Peter, but she used to play with us more before she had to be so clever. Well, said the stationmaster, I must be getting along. You give us a look in at the station whenever you feel so inclined. And as to the coals, it's a word that, well, oh no, we'll never mention it, eh? Thank you, said Peter. I'm very glad it's all straightened out between us. And when he went across the canal bridge to the village to get the buns, feeling much more comfortable in his mind than he had felt since the hand of the station master had fastened on his collar that night among the coals. Next day, when they had sent the three Next day, when they had sent the threefold wave of greeting to Father by the Green Dragon, the old gentleman had waved back as usual. Peter proudly led the way to the station. But ought we, said Bobby? After the coals, she means, Phyllis explained. I met the stationmaster yesterday, said Peter, in an off-handed way, and pretended not to hear what Phyllis had said. He expressed in expressly invited us to go down any time we like. After the coals, repeated Phyllis. Stop a minute, my bootlace is undone again. It's, it always is undone again, said Peter, and the stationmaster was more of a gentleman than you'll ever be, Phil, throwing coal at a chap's head like that. Phyllis did up her bootlace and went on in silence, but her shoulders shook, and presently a fat tear fell off her nose, and it splashed on the metal on the railway line. Bobby saw it. Why, what's the matter, darling, she said, stopping short and putting her arm around the heaving shoulders. He called me un-un-ungentlemanly, sobbed Phyllis. I didn't never call him unladylike, not even when he tried my Cornelda to a firewood bundle and burned her at the stake for a martyr. Peter had indeed perpetrated this outrage a year or two before. Well, you began, you know, said Bobby, honestly, about coals and all. Don't you think you'd better both say, unsay everything since the wave and let the honor be satisfied? I will if, Pil if Peter will, said Phyllis, sniffling. All right, said Peter. Honor is satisfied. Here, use my hanky, Phil. For goodness sake, 
If you've lost yours as usual, I wonder what you do with them. You had my last one, said Phyllis indignantly, to tie up the rabbit hutch door with. But you're very ungrateful. It's quite right what is said in that poetry book about sharper than a servant it, it is to have a toothless child. But it means ungrateful when it says toothless. Mrs. Lowe told me so. All right, said Peter impatiently. I'm sorry. Now, will you come on? They reached the station and spent a joyous two hours with the porter. He was a worthy man and seemed never tired of answering the questions that began with why, which many people in higher ranks of life often seem wary of. He told them many things that they had not known before, as, for instance, that the things that hook carriages together are called couplings, and that the pipes, like great serpents that hang over the couplings, are meant to stop the train with. If you could get a hold of one of them when the train is... Oh, excuse me. If you could get a hold of the one of them when the train is going and pull them apart, he said, she'd stop dead off with a jerk. Who's she? said Phyllis. The train, of course, said the porter. After that, the train was never again it to the children. And you... And you know the thing in the carriages where it says on it five pounds fine for improper use if you was to improperly use that train they'd stop you'd and if you used it properly said Roberta if you it stop you just the same I suppose he said but it isn't proper use unless you being murdered there are was an old lady once some kidded her on it was a refreshment room bell and she used it improper not being in danger of her life though hungry and when the train stopped and the guard came along expecting to find someone welting in their last moments she says oh please mister i'll take a glass of stout and a bun bath a bath bun, she said. The train was seven minutes behind her time as it was. What did the guard say to the old lady? I don't know, said the reporter. Uh, said the porter. But I lay she don't forget it in a hurry, whatever it was. In such a delightful conversation, the time went by all too quickly. The station master came out once or twice from that sacred inner temple behind the place where the hole is that they sell you tickets through. And it was most jolly with them all. Just as if the coal was never discovered, Phyllis whispered to his sister. He gave them each an orange and promised to take them into the signal box one of these days when he wasn't so busy. 
Several trains went through the station, and Peter noticed for the first time that engines have numbers on them like cabs. Yes, said the porter. I knowed a young gent as used to take down the numbers of every single one he seed in the green leather notebook with silver corners it was, owing to his father being very wealthy and well-to-do in the wholesale stationery. Peter felt that he could take down numbers, too, even if he wasn't the son of a wholesale stationer, as he did not happen to have a green leather notebook with silver corners, the porter gave him a yellow envelope, and he noted it. Three seven nine six six three, and felt that this was the beginning of what would be the most intriguing co collection. That night at tea, he asked Mother if she had a green leather notebook with silver corners. She had not. But when she heard what he wanted it for, she gave him a little black one. It has a few pages torn out, she said, but it will hold quite a lot of numbers. And when it's full, I'll give you another. I'm so glad you like the railway. Only, please, you mustn't walk on the line. Not if we face the way the train's coming, asked Peter, after a gloomy pause in which glances of despair were exchanged. No, not, not really, then Phyllis said. Mother, didn't you ever walk on the railway lines when you were a little? Mother was honest and admirable. Mother, so she had to say yes well then said phyllis but darlings you don't know how fond i am of you what should i do if you get hurt are you fonder of us than granny was of you when you were little phyllis asked bobby made signs for her to stop but phyllis never did see signs, no matter how plain they might be. Mother did not answer for a moment. She got up to put more water in the teapot. No one, she said at last, ever loved anyone more than my mother loved me. Then she was quiet again, and Bobby kicked Phyllis hard under the table, because Bobby understood quite a bit the thoughts that were making Mother so quiet. The thoughts of the time when Mother was a little girl and was all the world to her mother. It seems so easy and natural to run to Mother when one is in trouble. Bobby understood a little how people do not leave off running to their mothers when they are in trouble, even when they are grown up, and she thought she knew a little what it must be sad and have no mother to run to any more. So she kicked Phyllis, who said, what are you kicking me like that for, Bob? Uh, 
And then Mother laughed a little and sighed and said, Very well, then. Only let me be sure you do know which way the trains come. And don't walk on the line near the tunnel or near the corners. Trains keep to the left like carriages, said Peter. So if we keep to the right, we're bound to see them coming. Very well, said Mother, and I dare say you think that she ought to not to have said, but she remembered about it when she was a little girl herself, and she did say, and neither her or, or her own children nor any other children in the world could ever understand exactly what it cost her to do it. Only some few of you like Bobby, may understand a very little bit. Okay, that's all for tonight. I'll read the second half tomorrow. I love you.